Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. So we are doing Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Pneumatology, and we have finally concluded our survey of the Old Testament and everything the Old Testament teaches about the Holy Spirit. And so now we are going to move into, you know, what you might call New Testament uh, doctrine. Um, you know, some, some traditions would call this the next dispensation of the Holy Spirit. But we've already covered a lot in the very beginning, and you'll see us kind of retracing some of that ground here early on um, when we discussed the divinity of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the fact that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, in the revelation of the Scripture, etc. And so now we're going to dive into talking about the work of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost moving forward. And as we've discussed much earlier in the study, the Holy Spirit has been promised in our Old Testament survey. We saw that it was foretold, or He was foretold uh, to be coming. And then, of course, Jesus, especially in places like John chapter 13 through 16, foretells the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then on uh, in Acts chapter 1, Christ tells the apostles uh, to wait in the upper room and pray to receive, or to wait upon the Holy Spirit, the promised fulfillment. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends upon those people praying in the upper room. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And thus the, the beginning, the genesis of the church um, has occurred. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in a way that has never occurred in history before. And so we start our discussion of the work of the Holy Spirit just thinking about how the Holy Spirit was involved in the life and the ministry of Christ when he was here on earth. Because as we're going to see, what's interesting is that the Holy Spirit, going back to our Old Testament survey, the Holy Spirit is responsible for creation and for recreation. The Holy Spirit is the mechanism for life, for what we might call the vivifying effect in the creation. And so, the Holy Spirit is going to be engaged in the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity becoming a man. And then the Holy Spirit, or I should say, the second person of the Trinity is going to be submitted to the leadership and the counsel of the third person of the Trinity during his life. But then what's going to happen is because of his obedience to the Holy Spirit and what he does on the cross, the roles are going to get reversed and where the Holy Spirit guides Christ in his earthly life, the, the resurrected and ascended Christ is going to then send forth the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will serve to glorify and point people to the Son. So it starts with his incarnation. We're all familiar with uh, Luke, where he says, The angel replied to her, meaning Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So the incarnation is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's like I said, it's very interesting that this mystery of the incarnation is unveiled and made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, but then 
as Christ grows and walks in his life, he is going to um, ultimately become the one that the Holy Spirit serves. And this is an interesting uh, passage because it says, uh, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. We are familiar, y'all remember in Psalm 51 where David is praying, and this is one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament as related to the Holy Spirit, but David prays, don't take what? Your Holy Spirit from me. But now we're going to have a person who's going to receive the Holy Spirit, and it's it's going to be permanent. That connection is going to be permanent for the first time. And so Jesus sets the model for us for what it's going to be like um, moving forward. You know, in Isaiah, it's like he's vexed by his Holy Spirit, but this is going to set a separate separate set of circumstances into, into motion. And so um, we start to see then that Christ is guided by the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. In Mark, when Christ is going to go into the wilderness, who is it that sends Christ into the wilderness? It's the Holy Spirit. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days. So the Holy Spirit is guiding and orchestrating Christ's life. And, you know, we can get really deep into, when we talk about sanctification, which we're going to get to, I guess, two weeks from now after the Easter break, Jesus is the first example of a sanctified human. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a theological term that refers to the process that takes place after regeneration, or what we call being saved. People say, are you saved? Being saved, theologically, is called regeneration. You are made a new person. You are made new in Christ. You are raised to walk in newness of life, as it says in the Scripture. So regeneration occurs, and then from that point forward, we are walking to, we are working to become imitators of Christ. We are working to be just like him, completely holy, as it says in First Peter, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. That process of becoming sinless, of having, uh, of bearing the fruit of the Spirit in abundance, of never having any of the things that would be the opposite of the, of the fruit of the Spirit occur in our life, that process is called sanctification. Well, Christ was the first fully sanctified human because he was fully God and fully man. And it is heresy to say he didn't have a human spirit, as we've discussed before. People think, well, of course he didn't sin, he was God. No, that's not the point. The point was he was fully human, and in his full humanity, he didn't sin. How did he not sin in his full humanity? Because he was completely yielded to the Holy Spirit every moment of his life. And that's what we're going to end up having Our aim to be is to be fully yielded to the Holy Spirit every moment of our life. So Christ serves as a model for that. In John 3, 34, For the one whom God sent speaks God's words, since he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus didn't act alone in his humanity. He acted, uh, his humanity was a temple of the Holy Spirit in the same way that our humanity will become a temple for the Holy Spirit after regeneration. And God gave the Holy Spirit to Christ without measure. And so when Christ is speaking, the words that he's speaking are the words that were given to him by the Holy Spirit. Now, any questions or thoughts on this, by the way, before we keep rolling just through through passages of Scripture? 
Okay. This fulfills prophecy, by the way. We looked at this when we were looking at Isaiah. But, you know, Isaiah has multiple passages where it pro um, prophesies what the Messiah would be like and what he would look like. And one aspect of the Messiah that's prophesied is that he's going to have this very robust measure of the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord God is on me. Because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners. This, we covered this section in total when we reviewed Isaiah, but this is the Messiah speaking in the first person, saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be on him. Isaiah 11, 2 as well. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Hey, Tom, how are you, man? So we're seeing that Christ is the Messiah and therefore he is the fulfillment of, this, of these prophecies that the Holy Spirit is going to be completely on him. The Holy Spirit is going to speak through him and it's going to give him this supernatural wisdom, this supernatural understanding, and a supernatural strength. Matthew 12, 28 says, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What Christ is saying there is, when I'm driving out demons by the Holy Spirit, since y'all know that the prophet said the Messiah was going to be the one that had the, was filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to know the Messiah has actually shown up. And by the way, he, was, he had just driven out demons. So what he's basically saying is the kingdom of God has, has shown up. The kingdom of God is here. And this kind of harkens to the notion we've spoken about before where the gospel of Christ is really his kingdom. It's his kingship that the kingdom has arrived and is in place right now and is available. Matthew 12, 15 through 18 uh, says, Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight, and I will put my spirit on him and will proclaim justice to the nations. So just showing that Christ is the fulfillment of these prophecies in Isaiah that say that the Holy Spirit is going to be on the Messiah and thus he is the Messiah. Hebrews uh, alludes to the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Christ. It says, How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. So this is uh, alluding to what I said before. When Christ goes to the cross, his obedience is in his humanity. He was being obedient as a man, just as you or I would be obedient. And he was being obedient because the Holy Spirit was, was empowering him and he was yielded, subservient to that leadership. 1 Peter 3.18 for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So here we see that Christ is subservient to the Holy Spirit to the, through, through the cross. And then, who raises Christ from the dead? The Holy Spirit, which echoes the theme that we've said has existed since Genesis 1-2. What is the life-giving mechanism in the universe? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit breathes the breath of life, right? The Holy Spirit is the breath. It is the Ruach, as we've discussed. So here, that same idea shows up when Christ is in the grave. The Holy Spirit is that vivifying mechanism that raises him 
to new life. And this is going to become important when we start to talk about what is the meaning of the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and what is the chronology, if you will, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit secondary to the regeneration process, or is it integral to the regeneration process? Because when we have a resurrected person, what was it that resurrected him? The Holy Spirit. So just let that germinate because that's going to end up playing a factor potentially in how we decide what we believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Any thoughts or questions? <laughs> Several good things. Just um, one was uh, as Christ was healing all these people, he, he tells them, "Don't tell anybody about this." Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But what's the nature of sin? To do the exact opposite of what you're told to do. <laughs> yeah. Was it a uh, advertising gimmick? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just being silly. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I get it. <laughs> I think the nature of sin is pride, right? Pride is I'm in charge. I want to be in charge. That's true. I think that Jesus for sure knew <laughs> that they were going to tell people, right? But, but the prophecy is, if you read further in Isaiah in that passage, by the way, it says that he's not going to shout it from the I'm paraphrasing, but it says he's going to have the Holy Spirit on him and he's not going to shout it from the rooftops. He's not going to go and try to make a big deal about himself. And so that's why it says he told them not to say anything, thus fulfilling the prophecy. Bop, 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 bop. Palm, uh, Palm Sunday is like the ultimate. Correct. He's on the DL. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Today's Palm Sunday. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay, so in Revelation 4 uh, and then 5, the second part of 5, it says seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. I'm, I'm sorry, Tali, what chapter and verse? Oh, uh, Revelation 4, 5. Four, chapter 4, verse 5. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. And then it says seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Mm-hmm. And then that tied into when you were showing us a, uh, Isaiah eleven two, where it says wisdom and understanding. Mm-hmm. So is that, how does that all relate? So is, that's the Holy Spirit, right? The spirits of God? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, that that's a little thorny right there, but um, because the Holy Spirit is a person, and so, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can interpret that, but different aspects of God's character could be what's on display mm-hmm. is what that could be referring to. All of that encompasses the Holy Spirit. So whenever He gives us wisdom and understanding and fear of the Lord, those are the characteristics that... Correct. Okay. Yes. But, but, in, but in reality, it's actually all three members of the Trinity. And this is where it gets a little bit where we start to blur the lines between where does one person of the Trinity stop and the other person of the Trinity start. Because mm-hmm. obviously, who, who created it? Like we've discussed in Colossians, it says that all things were made through Christ and all things are sustained through Christ. And yet we've seen a theme run throughout the entire Old Testament now and we're about to see it keep running through the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is the life-giving force in the creation so that's like the lines start to blur, right? And this is where we can affirm that the Scripture teaches Trinity without it ever saying the word Trinity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 
Gary Wilkerson, you know, mm-hmm. Wilkerson's um, son, had a podcast, and he's been on a, he's been reading books about the Trinity, and his eyes have really been opened about, he would pray to the Holy Spirit, then he would pray to Jesus, and then he prayed to the Father, and he mm-hmm. said, they're one. Yes. But we, they know, all, all three persons know exactly what's going on. Yes. And they're all engaged. Yes. You just have to. Yes. I'm not going to offend one by right. praying to the other two. That's right. But that and that's definitely true. But I think as we're going to see here, it's really um, I don't know encouraging and empowering that the different members of the Trinity do play specific roles, and that the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, once especially once we get past this discussion of regeneration and we get into okay, what's what's this mean for us who are believers? The Holy Spirit is a a power source that we and I'm speaking for myself here, we don't tap into like we should in order to live the Christ-like life. You know, I say this a lot in my, to my discipleship group guys. I say, you know, a lot of people come to me and they want to they tell me about this burden or that burden of walking the Christian life. And I said, Christ said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that doesn't line up. Like when you think that Christianity is hard, something's off. And it's hard if we're in our flesh. It's hard if we're walking in our strength. But Christ himself didn't walk in his own strength, as, we're going to, as we've just seen. Christ yielded to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. His humanity did. Yes, ma'am? I was just thinking about, at Pentecost, the believers didn't have to like click some mindset to have the Spirit um, poured out on them and to do the things of God, it just did. So, like, do we have to have the mindset for God's Spirit to work through us? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question, and I think I, I understand that's a very relatable uh, emotion to what you see there. What I would say is that there was a unique thing happening in history but if we continue to follow the story, they in fact did. In fact, Peter got off track. And Peter got his theology a little bit wrong and had to be corrected. And then we see a maturation in Peter that he reflects on when he ends up writing the letter of First Peter. And so um, we see that someone like Barnabas, as an example, also might have gotten off track. And he and Paul got at odds with one another and ended up never working together again in their earthly lives. Um, And yet, Barnabas is one of the most encouraging examples of the Holy Spirit, somebody having the Holy Spirit work through them. So I think that in the sanctification process, it's kind of this whole, uh, this is a little out of context, but that whole working out your salvation with fear and trembling concept from Philippians, there is a notion that we are to be engaged in partnering with the Holy Spirit in our maturation process. And we do have to actively yield. You know, this idea of taking off the old man and putting on the new man, that's a very active, conscious process, like it's a garment every morning, you know. And we'll get into all that when we get into the sanctification process. But it's a great question, you know. And I think, too, you know, God, uh, and I'm using this word not in a theological way, but he dispenses grace in a way that is commiserate with where we are. And so for the brand new unbeliever, perhaps we get 
uh, or these people in the upper room, they received the Holy Spirit in a way because they never, the Holy Spirit had never been operating in humankind like this before. They received the Holy Spirit in a way that is maybe called effortless, but then as we mature, and especially today with all of our wealth of theological understanding and the whole scripture canonized for us and available, there's a little more that starts to become required, you know. And it's a little bit like the whole um, the whole uh, analogy or metaphor, rather, of, of working out. You know, if you don't lift heavy things, you don't get stronger. You know, it's not by lifting light things that you get stronger. We think it makes sense. Like, if all I did was sleep, I'd be super strong because I never used the muscles, so they're ready. No, not the way it works, right? Okay, good stuff. Um, speaking of the power, Romans 8, 11 if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who, lived, who lives in you. So this continues this theme of the Holy Spirit being the life-giving mechanism to the whole creation. And this is super encouraging section of Romans. This ends in the part that everybody quotes, you know, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. This is this section where it's saying to us, look, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. <laughs> uh, that should mean something to us. He's the source of life. He creates and he recreates. Luke eleven thirteen. Christ prophesies, by the way, many times that the Holy Spirit's going to come and that he's going to dispense the Holy Spirit to um, you know, all those who believe. If you then who are evil know how to, good, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now I will tell you, that last little phrase there has become a little cornerstone of an entire theological movement. <laughs> So just note it. We'll talk about it in detail. But the bottom line for this discussion is that the Heavenly Father is going to give the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a promise that's, that's on its way at this point. Yes, ma'am. Just pointing out, there is that ingredient of those who ask Him. Right. That's what I'm saying, yes. Yeah. There's, that phrase is going to play a role in some of our theological traditions that we have floating around today. Um. On the last, John 3, or 7, 37 through 39, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified, showing that we're going to have this flip-flop. So once Jesus goes to the cross and, is and rises from the dead and ascends, and the Holy Spirit's going to be given, and then those who are thirsty can come to him, and the Holy Spirit will be given to those people. So Christ is going to pour out the Holy Spirit on all believers. And then uh, John 14, 26 amidst that long thing. If you want to read you know, a really strong section on the paraclete, the counselor, uh, the Holy Spirit, those are all names for the Holy Spirit, it's the paraclete and the counselor. John chapters 13 through 16. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told, have told you. And we're going to look at this passage a little bit more here in a moment, so I'm just going to leave that there. But 
Christ multiple times tells people, tells the believers, tells his followers, the Holy Spirit is coming. I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. The thing that I've been given and that I've been speaking by and that I've been empowered by and that I've been yielded to and obedient to, you're going to have that same thing. Okay, any questions about the work of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation, in the life of Christ? This verse right here. Mm -hmm. This right here, he's speaking directly to the disciples. Mm -hmm. Where is the scripture that spreads that out to the rest of believers? I'm not doubting it at Mm -hmm. all. I'm just asking. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a great question. And we're going to see that, actually. um, Because, for instance, when we get to... You know, Acts, it says that that's a fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, which says that the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh. Okay? And Peter stands up and says, What y'all are seeing, that's that. Okay? But um, this idea right here, if anyone is thirsty, let him come. That's true. Okay? And when you read the entire chapter 13 through 16 of John, this is the idea. Because, you know, John chapter 15 is the great um, idea of love and being in the vine and the branches. And then, immediately following John chapter 17, you have the high priestly prayer. And that's for everybody who's in the church, meaning all this is going to apply to them. And remember, when you had talked about that mm-hmm. verse, the first one, mm-hmm. when he said anyone right there, that's the, that's the tie-in right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.